0: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Bosnia is facing what is arguably its deepest political crisis since the Civil War in the 1990s. This war saw the worst fighting in Europe since World War II, with around 100,000 people killed, 2 million people displaced, many atrocity crimes committed, including the crime of genocide. In 1995, the United States helped broker an agreement between the warring parties known as the Dayton Accords. This agreement created a new political order in Bosnia and Herzegovina by essentially dividing the country into two parts. The Federation of Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is majority Bosniak Muslim and Croat, and the Republika Srpska, which is majority Serb. These two entities combine to form an internationally recognized government, which is led by a rotating three-member presidency, which includes a Bosniak, a Serb, and a Croat. And layered on top of this is an international diplomat known as the High Representative, who wields some power. This has been the basic agreement that has prevented a return to armed conflict. It has been an uneasy agreement, certainly tenuous at times, but it has held since 1995. But now this is all unraveling, and very quickly, because the political leadership in Republika Srpska seems determined to secede. On the line to explain why and how Bosnia is on the verge of potential political disintegration is Yasmin Mujanovic, a political scientist and analyst of Southeast European and International affairs. We recorded our conversation live via Twitter Spaces, and I've noticed that since I've started recording these conversations live, we've had many more listeners to the podcast itself. If you are a new listener to the show, welcome. Please be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast feed. Doing so will unlock hundreds and hundreds of episodes that I've posted over the years. Global Dispatches is the longest-running independent international affairs podcast. I've been doing this since like 2012, 2013. Subscribing to the feed will unlock access to this very robust archive. If you are a returning listener, thank you for keeping on listening to the show. Uh, please leave a comment or a review of the podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And as always, feel free to reach out to me at Mark L. Goldberg on Twitter or by using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for you to suggest to me topics I should cover or people I should interview. Thank you. All right, now here is my conversation with Yasmin Muyanovich. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Eslanyan from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting season four, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube
1: let me just uh, quickly sort of uh, address what I wanted to say right off the bat, because I think it is important, actually, and I'm not just being pedantic. So, first no. of all, the war in Bosnia-Herzegovina was not a civil war, just like the war in Ukraine today is not a civil war, right? Uh, the war in Bosnia-Herzegovina certainly featured aspects of what we would, in the academic literature, refer to as a civil war or a civil conflict. Um, but Bosnia-Herzegovina was invaded by the then government of Serbia under Slobodan Milosevic, and for a brief period also de facto by the government of Croatia under Ferani Tujman, Tudjman. Right? Just like today, uh, uh, Ukraine is under occupation by the Russian Federation. That's number one. Number two is that Bosnia-Herzegovina was not created at the Dayton Peace Accords. Bosnia-Herzegovina joined the United Nations um, in 1992 as a sovereign and independent state. Um, what the Dayton Accords did very significantly was that they helped usher in peace, um, and they reformulated Bosnia's uh, existing constitution and you're absolutely right though that um, the, the this current moment that we find ourselves in is arguably the most significant structural, political, and ultimately also constitutional crisis that the country finds itself in. These are the most credible threats of secession and disintegration that the country has faced since 1995. And also, I think what's very, very alarming is that there is a kind of geopolitical component to everything that the Serb nationalist leadership in the RS entity is presently engaging in, again, backed by the government of Serbia, but also increasingly Russia, and also even to some extent, elements within the euro Atlantic community like Hungary.
0: So, so let's dive right into it. And thank you for your uh, more accurate representation of uh, my introduction. Uh, I, I, I do appreciate it. So, so why... So this crisis has been sparked by recent separatist moves by that RS entity, Republika Srpska. You know, I take it there has been this undercurrent of uh, separatism and Serb nationalism in Republika Srpska for for a long time. Why is this accelerating right now? Like, what's happening?
1: So I think um, it's a good question. And there's a there's the official line, by which I mean the reasoning that the leadership in the RS, primarily Mr. Dodik, have offered. And, right. then and Dodik think,
0: is the uh, head of Republika Srpska, who serves as you know one of those uh, three head entities in in BiH.
1: Right. So he's he's technically right now a member of the tripartite state presidency. Um, he's the uh, ethnic Serb member of the presidency who is um, elected from the territory of the RS. Technically speaking, he actually functionally doesn't have a position in the Republika Srpska right now. The, but because he has over the span of 16 years basically turned that entity into a private fiefdom. Um, you know, it, it that's, that's a completely kind of symbolic, um, a reality, right? Just like when, for instance, Mr. Medvedev was uh, nominally the president of the Russian Federation, it was widely understood that Mr. Putin ran the whole country just like he had before. So it's the same thing with Dodik. Uh, he doesn't technically have a function in the Republic of entity right now, but he, he is the guy in charge. Um, so the official reasoning for this current secession crisis is that over the summer, um, the outgoing high representative, as you explained, the 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 highest representative, theoretically speaking, of the international community in Bosnia-Herzegovina, an Austrian by the name of um imposed a so-called anti-genocide denial law, um, which criminalizes uh, not just uh, negating the facts of the genocide in Bosnia-Herzegovina, but also more broadly, any um, internationally recognized uh, war crimes or crimes against humanity, including things like the Holocaust. Right, uh, The Bosnian parliament had attempted to pass this law itself for many, many years, um, but it was systematically obstructed uh, above all by uh, Mr. Dudek's SNSD party in the Bosnian parliament, and also frequently uh, this, these obstruction activities were um, backed by their close coalition partners in the Croat nationalist uh, HDZ party. Um, so uh, Mr. Insko felt that uh, because genocide denial had become really systemic, uh, vulgar, gratuitous, uh, 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 you know, the, the government of the RS was literally spending hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, every year peddling in um, promoting genocide, denial, negationism, revisionism, including these kind of bogus, supposed international committees. Um, as his outgoing act, he he imposed this anti-genocide law and said, as his successor, uh, the German Christian Schmidt, has said, um, you know, this should actually be an incentive to the Bosnian parliament to create their own law. Well, Mr. Dalek said... Basically, he doesn't want to go through the institutions of the Bosnian parliament. He doesn't want to pass this law in any capacity. So he has begun creating parallel institutions. Now, what's important to understand is that although it is certainly the case that genocide denial and genocide glorification is a very, very important feature of the kind of ideological posture and um, activities of Mr. Dodik's regime, uh, the, the 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 kind of structural long-term goal, though, is the breakup of Bosnia-Herzegovina. And so ultimately, Mr. Dudek has only used this uh, genocide law, anti-genocide denial law, to uh, uh, initiate what he has been preparing the ground for, arguably since 2006, but very, very earnestly since 2014, in and around the invasion of Ukraine, actually, by Russia, which is to say, again, uh, uh, initiating formal secession procedures in Bosnia Herzegovina to attempt to take the RS entity out of the country.
0: So, so, the, so it was this genocide law that was like the proximate spark, but this had been brewing for a, a long time, right? Like, I mean, are there broader geopolitical forces? that are enabling uh, this move to happen now, whereas it couldn't have happened, say, a few years ago, over another made-up proximate cause?
1: So uh, it's certainly the case that Mr. Dodik presently enjoys a tremendous amount of international backing from a kind of configuration and axis of you, of certain... um, international authoritarian and illiberal states. Uh, His most important benefactors are the government of Aleksandr Vucic in Serbia and, of course, the the regime of the Kremlin. Those are his two most significant backers. Increasingly, however, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, he has begun receiving uh, a very significant degree of at least diplomatic, uh, and it appears now uh, potentially also financial support from governments like Hungary, Um, He has also made deep inroads with the government of China and is keen to bring the Chinese on board with his secessionist activities. Um, And also he has made surprising overtures, surprising perhaps to people who have not followed the Balkans for uh, maybe since the wars of the 90s, um, but uh, unfortunately less so for those of us who keep abreast of local events. Um, But he has made actually pretty strong overtures to to the government in Zagreb and uh, in Croatia. And that's a Pretty complicated dynamic to explain, um, but suffice it to say uh, that the very close relationship that he has with Croat nationalist actors in Bosnia-Herzegovina is one that he has also begun essentially replicating at the international stage, which is to say, enjoying a certain kind of political, um, at least... Protection um, or plausible deni- deniability from certain elements of the um, uh, both the president of Croatia and to some extent also the government of Croatia, headed by the government of or pardon me by Prime Minister Andrej Plenkovic.
0: So, is it the ultimate goal of Dodik to have Republika Srpska join Serbia? And does the Serbian government even sort of want that? You know, headache that that would cause internationally.
1: So uh, it's. It is the case that Mr. Dodik has a long-term vision, and the vision is of essentially what we in the 90s would have referred to as the idea of a greater Serbia. Um, The government in Serbia has a different name for this project. Um, The term that Mr. Aleksandar Vulin, who is the current um, minister of the interior, but up until very recently was the minister of defense and is one of the closest people to Aleksandar Vucic, um, one of his closest associates, uh, he refers to this as the idea of the Serbian world, which is... Is a concept that they're um, they're directly borrowing and from the Russians the Rusky uh, Mir the the Russian world uh, it's it's also again as i said liberally borrowing from Slobodan Milošević's uh, Greater Serbia concept right so it's this idea that the the future of the western balkans will see the creation of a much greater and greatly expanded Serbian state, which will see the so-called unification of all ethnic Serbs in the Western Balkans. That primarily means um, the annexation and occupation of Eastern Bosnia-Herzegovina, which is to say uh, the RS entity. Um, These people also believe that they will eventually bring Montenegro back into some kind of union with Serbia. It also means that they believe that um, they will take over if not the entirety of the sovereign state of Kosovo then certainly those um uh, 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 ethnic Serb majority areas north of the Iber River in uh, around Mitrovica that they will bring those into uh Serbia proper. And in the most extremist versions of this fantasy, uh there's also sometimes speculation about potentially uh, uh taking parts of North Macedonia and even uh Croatia. Uh so it's a it's a it's a it's a fantastical ultra nationalist version well,
0: I, I I I was alive in the nineties. I remember that movie. <laughs> That's it did right. not end
1: well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So So we were, nobody was hoping for a sequel, but here we are.
0: Um, So what would be like the mechanism by which Republika Srpska actually starts its like process of removing itself, disintegrating, separating itself from uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina? Um, You know, like, you know, is there, I know, as you said earlier, they're creating some like separate state structures, but is there like... A potential, like just declaration of independence, followed by potential fighting. Like, how? I guess my first question is, like, what would be the steps that one might expect should uh, Dojic uh, act on uh, these statements that 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 Republic Srpska will uh, indeed declare independence and separate itself, followed by, like, you know, what is the potential that armed conflict may result from it?
1: So as you noted, they've already begun the kind of quasi-legal. I mean, they use the term legal very loosely in the sense that all of this is obviously unconstitutional and illegal, but they're trying to create the legal veneer of a, of a process for creating a, a, a parallel legal infrastructure or structure, I should say, um, for declaring independence somewhere down the road. Um, and they have these kind of, somewhat fluid timelines um they're always kind of doing these resolutions that they say they will then enact six months later so this we're in the midst of one of these kind of moments right now and and we're unclear what's going to happen in about five months from now Um, can i just stop you like what's an example of like a parallel structure so for instance the 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 first um structure that they went about creating was a drug which which sounds very sort of banal uh and blasé uh and not particularly dangerous but the first thing that they did was that they created a um a drug acquisition agency right so like a government agency for the creation of uh of drugs and medical supplies the issue is that there already is such an agency at the bosnian state level and so they The the, the government of the RS um, created a law that said that they were going to initiate the creation of their own agency without uh, actually going through the necessary legal process at the Bosnian state level and through the Bosnian parliament to spin this body off, right? Uh, You can't just create a parallel institution. Um, You know, this is like basic constitutional. Uh, (laughs) procedure. But this is, this is the thing that they're trying to do, right? So they're trying to basically say all of these things that exist at the state level, we are, as they put it, quote unquote, pulling out of, which is not actually a legal thing that exists. Um, and we are then going to create our own, essentially, shadow institutions. So they've said they're going to pull out of the tax authority, they're going to pull out of the armed forces, the border police, um, the constitutional court, and all kinds of other institutions, that, 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 and that they're going to create their own institutions that do the same thing at the entity level, which is not how the world works, but that is the project, which is why myself and others have referred to this as a process of secession and all but name, which is to say they, they they are now a little bit careful to not say secession, um, but it's very clear that this is kind of the institutional mechanism with which you would go about seceding.
0: What about security forces? Are they in the process or have Republic of Serbska started to you know disassociate s- itself with like any common security arrangements or security forces?
1: Right, so I, I, at this point, I would just remind all of the listeners um, that you also have to appreciate that Bosnia Herzegovina is arguably already the most decentralized state in the world. Right, so you have to understand that what, that when we're saying that they're creating parallel institutions, um, it's it's it really beggars belief um, because it's difficult to imagine that Bosnia could be any more decentralized than it is while still remaining a single sovereign state. And that's exactly what Dodik is trying to get at, right? He's trying to push it to the next uh, uh, sort of mile, as it were, and that mile functionally means the dissolution of the country. Now, as far as security arrangements are concerned, Mr. Dodik has said that he does want to pull out of the armed forces, the unified armed forces of Bosnia-Herzegovina. But the RS entity does already have its own police. And over the last 10 years or so, but very aggressively over the last six or seven years, um, the RS police has undergone a very, very significant, what I would call paramilitarization, which is to say they look less and less like a civilian police force and more and more like an armed militia. So for those who, for instance, saw some of the scenes out of the regional capital, um, it's actually not the regional capital, I should say, but whatever, Banyaluka, um, the, uh, they had this unconstitutional ceremony marking the, the secession of attempted secession of this territory in 1992 under the leadership of Genocide there, uh, Radovan Karadzic. So they had this big parade and they had all these people out and you saw you know these cordon's of, of, oh. of anti-terrorism police da 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 da. When you saw those police, it's very very clear that they looked like a military. Mm-hmm. rather than a police and so this is this is the fear that they already in some ways have at least some of the shall we say um practical capacities uh to at the very least create some very serious security incidents in Bosnia
0: so so it also seems that in addition to this like kind of creating these parallel bureaucratic structures there has been this sharp Increase in like nationalist racist rhetoric, as well as you just alluded to, there was this incident just a few days ago in which there was a celebration that was apparently banned. That um, many people who are not Serb nationalists found to be particularly disturbing because it harkened back to like the worst of the early 1990s. Uh, Can you just maybe briefly explain? Uh, or or describe um, the tenor uh, right now in Republika Srpska coming from uh, those separatist leaders?
1: So I, I, I think... And, and I will be so bold as to say uh, that this is a kind of, shall we say, cross-ethnic phenomenon in Bosnia-Herzegovina. I think all decent people in Bosnia-Herzegovina, and I would say even the region, are really horrified by the the events of the weekend. And this includes people in Serbia, in, in Montenegro, in Croatia, everyone who saw this, uh, what was going on during this weekend. Because this really is the kind of most sinister, um, horrifying cosplay of the um the, the the lead up to the war in the 1990s and the genocide um you know the the the, the significance of the January 9th date is that it really marks the formal institutional onset of the Bosnian genocide um, and the creation of these parallel uh, uh, breakaway structures by the then regime of Radovan Karadzic and his underlings Ferdinand Mladic and others and backed by Slobodan Milošević. So there's no way um, to separate January 9th from from the Bosnian genocide. Um, and you know, I've got into much more detail on my Twitter so people can kind of go there if they're interested in that. And, and a number of people have really written books um, beautiful things on, on, on the, the, I I use the term beautiful, but beautiful, powerful writing on, on a really horrible event. Um, And it's just to say that um, I, 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 you know, it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult on a deeply personal and emotional level to explain the horror of seeing people celebrate and sing and set off fireworks and parade and March and bring their children to attend an event that commemorates, or not commemorates, but celebrates the onset of a genocide. You know, on my Twitter, I compared it essentially to, you know, lynching postcards from the American South during the worst of the Jim Crow and post-Civil War era. But it's that on a kind of mass government-sponsored level. So the kind of the sheer... Um, again, the sheer horror and the terror of it, I think, is very difficult to perhaps convey to people who did not live through those experiences or don't have those experiences in their family narratives. But I would hope that, on a basic moral and a, an ethical p- uh, level, people would realize why this is so upsetting and why why it's so frightening to not just people in Bosnia, but 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 throughout the region.
0: And it, it, it sort of speaks again to why I sort of frame this as just being a very perilous moment. I mean, you have. Um... You know, inflamed nationalist sentiments combined with a leader who has long wanted to separate Republika Srpska from uh, the rest of Bosnia, combined by a more favorable geopolitical environment right now that could, you know, enable this to actually happen. Uh, So to what extent are you concerned that this moment might lead to some sort of armed conflict, albeit maybe not on the scale of the 1990s, but some sort of, of you know, guns firing?
1: So I think what, what keeps me up... At night is the fact that I think it's more likely today than it has been at any point since the end of the war. now, I don't want to put numbers you know percentages as to how likely I think it is, but the room for miscalculation has become enormous, and while I don't think that Mr. Doddick is a stupid man and I don't think he is um you know I don't think he is irrational as it were, I do think that um the ideas that he uh, subscribes to and the kind of power that he has is a certain kind of narcotic and a certain kind of toxin. And I do think that there is the possibility that he has so convinced himself and is so surrounded by true believers, and it does genuinely appear that he is, um, that he believes that Um, you know, he could concoct some kind of security incident, and that he would expect that his friends in Belgrade and Moscow and perhaps other places would come to his aid. Because he knows also that any kind of serious security crisis that would stay genuinely within the parameters of the Bosnian state, and would not see any kind of meaningful outside interference, that shall we say, skirmish, that clash would not go well for Mr. Dodik. Because as fragmented as the Bosnian security apparatus is, it does have enough residual force to deal with somebody like Mr. Dodik and and his breakaway leadership, as it were. The fear is that it would not remain contained within Bosnia, that you would see Um, some kind of hybrid or clandestine uh, interference on the part of the government of Serbia, on the part of the Russian Federation, and perhaps still other actors. And at that point, we would have not just a fundamental breakdown, obviously, of the Dayton Peace Accords, um, we would have another very, very serious security crisis in Europe, in addition to everything that's already going on in Ukraine. And I genuinely don't know that, uh, you know whatever remains of the legitimacy or the credibility, in particular, of the European Union could sustain such another blow.
0: So, given how perilous and precarious the situation is right now, what are you seeing on the international level diplomatically from the European Union, which, as you just said, is is directly threatened by the potential disintegration of Bosnia? Like, what is the EU doing right now to potentially de-escalate this situation?
1: I think unfortunately the EU as a body is not doing very much, uh, at all, if anything. Um that is a, shall we say, institutional reality. Um the EU is a fundamentally consensus-based um decision-making body. And when you have people like Viktor Orban and Janez Jansha essentially determining the sway of regional foreign policy, um, it's very difficult to imagine that there's going to be any kind of meaningful um, meaningful response to the situation in Bosnia. It should also be said, unfortunately, that uh, people like Dodik and Pete People like Orbán and Yanis Yanca and others and other illiberal elements within the EU have, um, you know, have done a tremendous job of corroding and corrupting um, the internal operations of the European Union. I mean, as 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 a colleague, or rather, as a as an MEP in Brussels, put it to me a couple of weeks ago. You know, we're seeing elements of state capture within the European Union, and so um, you know, one of the hopes, obviously, for instance, was that we would see sanctions on the part of the European Union against Mr. Dudek and his government, that obviously will not happen. And so now the hope is that individual European Union capitals, in particular places like Berlin, um, you know, the government of the Netherlands, and perhaps still others, would be willing to impose unilateral sanctions like the United States has done just a few days ago, um, or rather imposed expanded sanctions on Mr. Dudek and some of his associates. Um, We're still waiting, unfortunately, uh, on that. Um, I believe, and I'm very hopeful that uh, the United Kingdom, will come through. Um, The UK has emerged as really one of the most constructive and important um, backers of the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Bosnia-Herzegovina. So, you know, it it, it would be tremendous if we could see a very uh, significant and sustained kind of Anglo-American engagement in Bosnia-Herzegovina come out of this situation. But ideally, we would also see some of our um, European uh, friends, shall we say, uh, uh, actually put their money where their mouth is.
0: And how relevant is the United States as a, a player able to make like diplomatic waves in this region? I did see that the Treasury Department did uh, slap some sanctions on Dodik uh, last week or earlier this week even. Uh, what role is the United States playing?
1: Well, look, I mean, uh, the, the United States was – the fundament, you know, the architect of the Dayton Peace Accords. Um, it is, in that sense, kind of the primary legal and international guarantor of the country's constitutional order and thus the country's um, peace and security. Uh, there was a lot of hope, I think, by a lot of Bosnians and Herzegovinians about the Biden administration because President Biden is a, you know, is an old Bosnia hand. He was really very much on the right side of history uh, during the Bosnian war and the Bosnian genocide. He was very crit- critical of the Clinton administration, slow walking um, its involvement in the Bosnian conflict. Um, the reality is this administration has also been faced by a tremendous number of other crises that it's been dealing with. Um, so I think to date, that hope uh, about the um, the level and the quality, shall we say, of American engagement in Bosnia has, has not really... Uh, uh, been borne out. In reality, uh, the sanctions that were imposed a couple of days ago are really, really very important and are commendable. Um, it's going to be very important that those sanctions be expanded to other uh, uh, members of Mr. Dudik's regime. And it's also going to be very, very important that the United States uses its leverage and its power to work with um, its other Atlantic allies to to broaden the depth and the scope of this regime. Because unfortunately, I think if it if it remains isolated to the united states the impact won't be as great unless the united states then is to, willing to take an additional step which is to say to really radically deepen the tenure of the sanctions basically modeling them on something like the iran sanctions that would then effectively tie the hands of european uh, financial institutions and and companies and governments in in terms of any kind of financial or economic dealings with the with the regime in banuluka but but i think that 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 is unlikely at this juncture.
0: Uh, Lastly, in the coming days or weeks or even months, are there any inflection points or key decisions that you'll be looking towards that will suggest to you how this situation will unfold?
1: So I think the... The next big marker to watch out for is whether or not Mr. Dodek and uh, Mr. Draganchovich, who's the leader of the um, the current Nationalist HDZ party that I was mentioning earlier, whether they're going to try to make a serious play at... Um, basically scuttling the holding of the next general elections in Bosnia-Herzegovina, which are slated for October. Um, they effectively already did this once, uh, sort of semi-successfully. So during the last so-called municipal or local elections in 2018, they, they managed to delay those elections by about a month and a half, two months, by holding the funding hostage. Um, Both Mr. Czovich and Mr. Dodik have made all kinds of threats uh, and hints. uh, dropped all kinds of hints that they're willing to do this. I think if they do this and if they make a hard play at it, um, it would be a very, very dangerous situation. And um, it would also be, again, another very, very serious test of the credibility, in particular, of the European Union and individual European Union governments Uh, as to their commitments to peace and security, not just in Bosnia, but the whole of the Western Balkans. I think a lot of attention in particular at this moment needs to fall on Berlin and to see whether the new government in Germany is willing to take a more constructive approach to Bosnia than, unfortunately, uh, the previous government did or rather did not.
0: Uh, Well, Yasmin, thank you so much for your time. This is very helpful.
1: For sure. Thank you for, uh, for the platform.
0: All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Yasmin Mjanovic for speaking with me. We had about 650 people listening live. I think about a few thousand people kind of came and went, but about 650 people stuck through the whole thing. And after I finished uh, chatting with Yasmin, he graciously stuck around to take questions from the audience. As always, just follow me on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg to be alerted of when these conversations go live. All right. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye.